This is a podcast for Radio Sangam, the number one followed Asian community radio station in the UK. Hello and welcome to Radio Sangam 107.9 FM. Um, today we'll be talking to one of the potential West Yorkshire mayors um, who currently resides in Huddersfield and uh, he'll be talking to us about himself, um, about some of his work he's done and why he thinks he should be your mayor of, uh, your mayor of West Yorkshire. So, uh, Hugh Goldborn, are you are you with us? I am. Hello. How, How are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much. How are you? Yes, very good today, and uh, great to be joining you for a conversation. Thank you very much. And uh, so, how have you been so far? How is uh, the current world affairs affecting you? I, I don't think any of us are unaffected, are we, by the um, by the current lockdown? Very and, true. Um, economic climates. Uh, so like many people working from home, I'm a lawyer, I'm based in Huddersfield, so working from home and um, and looking forward to seeing what's going to happen next week once we come out of lockdown, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for definite. We'll just see how it goes. I think we will. Yeah. Uh, I think we will. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a campaign, you know, sort of launched a while ago, back in August, okay. uh, we're now quite a bit way through the Labour selection process. Mm-hmm. Um, ballots went out this week, so mm-hmm. members are starting to vote. And we've been hitting the phones to members this week, me and my team, the volunteers, and voting ends on the 11th of December, so we'll know on the 11th of December who the official Labour Party candidate is for West Yorkshire Mayor. That's perfect. Um, so give us a breakdown of you. Tell us about Hugh Goldborn. Tell you about Hugh Goldborn. Um, I so I live in Huddersfield. I'm uh, I've been here just over ten years. I live here with my wife and two very young daughters, uh, Clara and Lily, who are um, both still toddlers, um, age two and three. So uh, sleep is a, that's a premium, as you can probably imagine. <laughs> um, I am a, a lawyer, as I said. Uh, I'm also probably a community leader here in Huddersfield, so I volunteer quite a lot of time um, at the moment to an organisation called Huddersfield Unlimited, which is all about bringing more investment to our local economy. We work with the university, we work with local businesses uh, and the council to try and, you know, just bring this place to life a little bit. And that's really one of the main reasons why I'm really interested in putting my name forward uh, for the West Yorkshire mayoral selection. Um, You know, I think this is a massively big opportunity for our area for our communities and very important for the Labour Party as well uh, that we you know that we try and win this election next year definitely um so a lot of what happened in this latest election is that um most of the communities who have been solidly Labour for a number of years they kind of dropped off the map and went the other way shall we say so uh, what what do you think happened there well, I've been a member of the Labour Party since I was a student um, in 1995, and so, well, that's 25 years. Mm-hmm. So I've campaigned in probably nearly 25 elections, I think, in that time, general elections, etc., mm-hmm. including last year's, and you're right, it was um, a difficult moment, I think, for us in the Labour Party movement, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's any getting away from that. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I see 2021 as a restart in many ways, not just for our movement, but obviously for our local communities. And it's absolutely imperative that I, as a candidate, but all of our council candidates, because we all have council elections on the same day, 
that we're all seen as, you know, talking to, listening to local people. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. I think you lose your electorate when that stops happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's really imperative. And I I suspect that most people, uh, most people I talk to, you know, in everyday life, whether it's um, in my job or in the community, I suppose what they want to hear is that we are listening to their main concerns, what's important for the local area, and that we've got some answers as well. And I think I've got some answers. Um, So I'm quite confident that I could win the election if I was the Labour Party candidate. Um, But I don't underestimate the challenge. You're absolutely right. If you look at the results from last year, we've got um, you know big mountain to climb. Solid. Um, And so what does being the potential mayor of West Yorkshire mean to you? So when I think of... You know, we live in a town, and you know, maybe we'll come back to that later in, in, in the uh, you know in the interview in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, West Yorkshire as, a, as an area, we're a city region really, um, with Leeds being the major city. And when I think of iconic major cities like you know London, for example, as a as a European and global capital, it has a number of things. It? it has a strong identity um, as being. Uh, sort of a diverse place, lots of different people mixing and mingling and working together mm-hmm. alongside each other. Um, it's got a fantastic public transport system, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. And it provides for people of all age groups, including young people. You know, it's a constant channel and opportunity if you're a young person there mm-hmm. to get into work, to meet lots of different people and to make your pathway and career. And I think that's what we need to be here in West Yorkshire. We have fantastic buildings, fantastic businesses, some the best universities in the world but at the moment I don't feel it quite all adds up to what we want it to be mm-hmm. and so for me there is a sense that we could be better um, and that's why I'm really excited about this opportunity I think a mayor can be that champion I'd want to be that champion I come from a business background uh, I come from quite diverse backgrounds so my father was um, is from Jamaican um, heritage originally my mother from East African, um, Asian heritage. Her parents were from Goa in India originally. So, um, you know, I'm proud of my diversity and I'm proud of the diversity across West Yorkshire. I think we could make more of that. Mm-hmm. And I think we have fantastic schools, colleges, universities, as I've mentioned. Sometimes we don't quite provide the opportunities for young people to stay here to make their way in jobs. And I think that's something that a mayor could really lead on. And I've got some ideas on and experience on how to do that, how to create um, internships networks that provide mentorship and mm. you know i've brought through quite a few young people myself into my profession and into other professions here in Huddersfield. so you know that's um that's something i'm really keen to lead on as, as the mayor of west yorkshire that's really cool so um hey this might seem an odd question but um so i think well great so basically i'm from bradford right and um so kind of maybe the the schooling system is very different as in what they try and explain to you but um from the people i know and from the communities i've sat in and stuff um the whole th- the whole thing of being a mayor is almost um just one of those things where it's just it's just part of the culture if you will um so do you want to kind of describe the difference between mp and mayor and your kind of local candidate yeah, that's a that's a really good question, isn't it? Um, because this is the first time we're going to have a mayor for West Yorkshire as mm-hmm. well, and um, and so I think it's important that people 
and your listeners do understand the difference. So, you know, members of parliament obviously elected to represent us in Westminster, um, and one of my um, competitors for this nomination is, is, a, is a member of parliament. Um, and I think that role is very different. You know, that's in terms of passing legislation, holding governments to account, etc. Um, this role is very much, you know, if you think of, say, Sadiq Khan in London, you know, he's the mayor of London, or Andy Burnham in, in Manchester, that's very much what this role is about. So, you know, you're elected mayor for all of a sub-region, and um, it's quite a big region, 2.3 million people. And really, it's about bringing together our communities, because we've got five different local authority areas. It's mm-hmm. about working with the leaders of each of those local authorities, um, and the councillors, you know, hundreds of councillors across all of those local authorities. Um, but then also working with other stakeholders, so, you know, business leaders mm-hmm. and community leaders and people who run charities and community organisations and that kind of stuff. So it's a big role in that sense, and it's, it is different. It, um, you are directly elected. I would be directly elected. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you've got the democratic um, legitimacy mm-hmm. to do things differently. You don't have all the power. A lot of the power resides with the local authorities mm-hmm. and a lot of the spending power resides with the local authorities. And obviously there's still a government in Westminster that makes decisions on legislation. But you have a fantastic voice, right, because you're elected by 2.3, to represent 2.3 million people. Mm-hmm. And so that means, as we've seen with Andy Burnham in recent weeks, you know, standing up for Manchester um, in relation to the lockdowns with government. Um, you know, there's some things you can really lead on and have a big say in and champion, and that's why... I, I'm really, you know, I think it's a really interesting role and an important one that we get the right person to fill that role. Interesting. Um, so what are your pledges as the Mayor of West Yorkshire? So I've talked a bit about, um, I guess, my slight frustration with our transport system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everywhere I've been over the last few weeks, as I've been through my campaign, a consistent thing I've heard from, um, from local people is that, you know, our transport system's unreliable, uh, too expensive, and we just need something that, that replicates other major cities, right? So I think we can do a lot with our bus system. Uh, I'm quite a keen fan of perhaps bringing that back within public control. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can upgrade and improve our trains. And um, I'm also looking at some, my first pledge is to introduce some sort of online application or phone-based application, which will under which platform will sit all available transports, so trains, buses, etc., etc., um, even cars, rental cars, taxis. And that's already been used in other cities, right, around four or five cities around Europe. Birmingham are now trialling it. There's no reason why we can't do that. And that would then enable us to have one ticketing price for all those different things, bringing the cost down. It also means we can put in place regulations and guidance around what we want in terms of safety. So, you know, if you're a taxi driver, what, your, what the safety expectations are for you and your passengers, and, you know, importantly, the cost of tickets and stuff. So that's the first thing we've said. Then there's two other areas we've said. I want to look at um, new technologies. Um, so I've talked a bit about Hyperloop as a potential technology, uh, but also investing in a feasibility study on a superhighway for cycling for all of West Yorkshire. So we're all connected. We can all use cycles, but not just traditional bicycles, also electric bicycles, e-scooters, just having that, you know, distinct space away from roads, away from pavements, where people can try and use new technologies to get around. And I think that's really important, you know, because you've probably seen, haven't you, all these people whizzing around, particularly younger people, on e-scooters. Mm-hmm. And 
the moment they're not really allowed to do that but they don't have anywhere to go you know so i think it's important we create space for some of these new technologies and so that's that's something i've said i'll do so that's one of my priorities is transport there's two other areas i'll just touch upon um one is ensuring that we meet our climate change targets you know this is an absolute passion of mine i've got two young daughters as i say i still remember growing up in jamaica for, for a few years when we were there um one of my earliest memories i think i was about four or five was when a big hurricane came across the island and i was really terrified i remember um and when i think of what is predicted to happen in the next 20 30 years if we don't start addressing climate change you know those storms are going to become very frequent for my daughters and i don't want them to have that same fear and experience so for me it's critical we address this um for their generation but also it's an opportunity right i mean so many new technologies that are coming forward in terms of electric cars renewable energy hydrogen energy and if we can be the first region that really cracks some of that deploys it at scale then we will get an economic benefit and so that's why i'm really excited about that. and it's something i've got lots of experience in doing i am a director of a clean energy fund that i helped set up about eight years ago at the moment uh, i've worked and, and managed and run a a national environmental charity i even advised the uk government sort of 10 12 years ago on um, climate related issues so i've got a lot of experience in it and so i I know we can do it and i'm a bit frustrated we haven't done more of it Mm -hmm. so you know that's the other area the final thing to say is jobs you know today the chancellor's obviously going to be talking about the economic situation we're in um it's not a good one uh west yorkshire actually is probably quite well placed to come out of this quite well because we've got a growing and stronger economy mm-hmm. um, but we do need to make sure that younger people in particular have a chance and that people in all our communities have a chance I mean you mentioned you grew up in Bradford mm-hmm. um, you know traditionally Leeds has got a lot of jobs doesn't it mm-hmm. um, you think of places like Huddersfield and Brighouse and Murfield and Halifax and Bradford we've perhaps always been a bit second in line and I think it's time that uh, you know and they are needs to ensure that all of West Yorkshire is included in this mm-hmm. um, and that you know we're kind of making that impact in terms of giving people opportunities and jobs and raising incomes. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is some form of, I don't want to say bias, but bias um, between where people think of West Yorkshire and then immediately go to Leeds rather than focusing on the smaller places where it seems that everyone working in Leeds comes from these smaller places. Well, that's good, yeah. I mean, there is this, there's certainly a trend there, isn't it? I mean, I, my legal practice, I'm, I suppose I'm slightly unusual in terms of being based in Huddersfield. A lot of um, my peers are based in, in Leeds, yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I often have to commute to Leeds myself mm-hmm. or to Manchester, actually, yeah, for work, you know, see my clients. So, yes, there's clearly... Uh, a strength there that Leeds has and I, I think it's important that West Yorkshire Mayor doesn't in any way try and underplay that strength this isn't about an us and them sort of thing mm-hmm. you know, I think Leeds still needs to grow it's still on a journey you've got Channel 4 coming there you know it's, it's it's a good it's a good lever isn't it um for bringing um investment into the region so I think that's a good thing let's talk that up but what we also need to do is talk up the other bits. And so that's, for me, a critical bit of being the mayor, is championing all of the bits of West Yorkshire. And there are some existing fantastic things going on, right? So mm-hmm. we've got a great university here in Huddersfield, haven't we, that's gone on an exponential growth journey in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. We've got Thornton & Ross, a new um, 
you know, traditional health technology business, now going into pharmaceuticals, and employing you know, hundreds and hundreds of new people into that business. Appliances Direct, you know, have scaled up from being a small, small business into a multi-million pound business. So we've got things here in Huddersfield. And in Bradford, there's the um, Health Technology Institute that's going to get five million pounds over five years from the government. And there's an opportunity to scale that up into a national or even into the National Institute. Mm-hmm. I, I just say all of that because there are um, already things that are going on. Mm-hmm. I think your question was a good one, that sometimes it's about perception. So when I go to London for business meetings or to, you know, to, to represent the area or whatever, you often hear things about people say, oh, it's a bit grim up north, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. um, oh, West Yorkshire, you all just wear flat caps, don't you? Mm-hmm. Or grand with ferrets and that kind of stuff. Or... Or, you know, it's a bit dangerous, it's a bit poor, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We've got to change that language, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the role, I think, for the mayor is get some pride in our area, talk it up, talk about the good things that are happening here, the opportunities to come and invest here, the opportunities to come and live here. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I just don't think that gets across, does it, in terms of whether you're in London or internationally. I just don't think people have, have that impression. So mm-hmm. I think it's about changing mindsets a little bit. And then locally giving people that sense of pride and ambition and that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, I don't see it so much as us and them. I see it more as a, um, we just all need to work together a bit more and be a bit more um, ambitious together. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you mentioned that you campaigned or you, you believe very, very strongly in the whole environmental side of things. And you also released a book. This was um, back in 2009 but it's called Collective Power. So do you want to kind of hit upon that a tiny bit? Yes, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. So Collective Power I wrote, yeah, in 2009 with a couple of colleagues in the Cooperative Party. I think it's important to say that I am seeking the nomination to both be the Labour and Cooperative candidates. Um, And the Co-op Party is the sister party of the Labour Party. And we wrote that paper because... um, we had a vision of energy being owned, so companies being owned and generating energy as cooperatives, so, you know, local people owning it. And um, I'm glad to say that since we wrote that, many um, many such cooperatives have been set up around the country. Uh, so, you know, there are examples of, um, there's one in, in Home Firth, of a, a cooperative energy organisation mm-hmm. there. They've got wind farm, they're generating energy. It engages the local community because lots of volunteers have got involved in setting it up, in funding it, and they own it and they distribute some of the profits from you know selling the electricity into the local community. So that's a fantastic example of exactly what we tried to write, what we wrote about in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, another element of it was um, communities and households coming together to save en- to save energy and to save on their energy bills. Mm-hmm. And I actually ran a program in 2013 with some government funding, which was all about collective energy switching. In fact, and it, and it was in four of our West Yorkshire areas of Bradford, Kirklees, Wakefield and Leeds. Mm-hmm. And it was all about that thing of households clubbing together and then taking that collective demand to an energy market and saying, look, because we've got thousands of houses who want this, can we get a cheaper energy deal? We did manage to reduce energy bills on average by £150 for those households. Mm-hmm. And that has continued to happen. So now that notion of a collective energy switch is something that is ongoing throughout the UK market. And I think it's, uh, I wouldn't say it was entirely because we wrote that pamphlet, but it was a great start. And it did 
persuade government to put some money into funding different pilots and those pilots have now gone on to making change so mm-hmm. you know that's an example of the sort of thing i can do and um and that i would continue to try and do as as, as mayor you know being a thought leader trying new things and mm-hmm. then getting them to work for local people um final thing i'd say is collective power is still um still a, a phrase that's mm-hmm. used because last year we a few of us set up a small fund with the one community fund here in Kirklees mm-hmm. uh, called the Collective Power Fund. And um, it's been really um, interesting and impactful so far. We gave out our first set of money last year. We've, we've currently got a call for new projects this year, which closes next week on the 4th of December. And it's open to any community group in the area um, who have an idea for something they want to do to, to save energy and also to help local communities. And, you know, last year we had some brilliant projects from scout huts to village halls and faith groups, and and it was really exciting. So, yeah, um, I just mentioned that in case any community groups still want to apply for some funding. That's really cool. Um, the thing is, I think what I definitely heard about um, things like just turning your house into to run partially on renewable energy and stuff, it's always the initial spend. Um, things like solar panels and turbines people are worried about the initial spend and then on top of that it's like well I'm just one person and what's the point in one person doing it when 30 people on the street are doing it aren't, aren't doing it so um, what do you what do you say to that I think that's one of the um, most astute observations I've heard for a long time actually because I think that's absolutely right we have to do this at scale if we're going to meet if it's about climate change, right? Because mm-hmm. if we don't make absolutely massive changes in the way our economy works and society by 2030, then, yeah, we're not we're not going to meet... We're just not going to do it fast enough. So that's an absolutely fair point. Um, and cost is a very fair thing as well. I mean, the whole idea of the collective power model is sharing cost across people from different socioeconomic backgrounds so that it becomes affordable for everyone. And so I think as a mayor this is why it's so important it's done at that kind of level um, at a citywide region level with serious investment mm-hmm. put in to enabling everyone to have access to the infrastructure and then um, working with government and business to make radical changes to the way that things work and I think let's give an example I mean you've talked about um, about wind or solar but I mean electric cars are a really good example aren't they I mean, mm-hmm. the government has now said by 2030 you know there'll be no uh, in, by, you know after 2030 we can't sell any form of conventional car mm-hmm. well I mean if you look at the average price of an electric car it's out of the reach of most people right? mm-hmm. so um, yes the cost will come down as they sell more but still the, you'd expect by 2025 it'll still be out of the reach of most people given average salaries across West Yorkshire mm-hmm. um, there's then the ex- additional problem of where do you plug the things in because most homes at the moment aren't really set up for charging cars overnight so there's a big question there around how are we going to deploy this at scale to meet that 2030 target and for me that comes back to the sort of transport model I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier in, the, in that discussion which is is there a way in which the mayor can work with you know car companies and finance providers to roll out electric cars in such a way that everyone has access to them mm-hmm. people who can afford to pay for them fine pay for them but people who can't is there another way of giving them access you know could, could people um rent them by the hour by the day by the half day 
could there be a pool of them at the end of the street rather than having one in each home and mm-hmm. then they're charging at the end of the street if you see what I mean rather yeah. than having to charge them in your home this is a really exciting opportunity if it's done in the right way because what it also means is you could reduce the amount of cars on the road um, over time because not everyone perhaps needs one but everyone gets access when they need to have them and so those are the sorts of models I'm looking at and the whole idea of some of these apps that have been used around Europe to manage demand on travel is exactly that as we integrate electric cars into the system perhaps we do it in a different way to the way that you know conventional cars have been integrated into the system so that's why I think it's really important that we have a mayor who sort of gets some of that mm-hmm. talks to those industries already which I do because I'm in those you know I'm really working with some of those industries and has a vision for how you can do that but does it in a really inclusive way because your question was the right one which is how are you going to make sure that everyone has access to that yeah. because it's the only way it's going to work. Isn't it? so. Cool. Um, so let's talk about some of the current projects you have underway. Um, so what are the kind of biggest current projects you have underway as just a normal individual, I guess? <laughs> well, yeah, and I think the important thing to say is I am a normal individual. I'm not, a, I'm not an MP and I'm not a, a council leader. Um, I have some skills, particularly legal skills, um, and, and quite a lot of experience in, in community and, and elsewhere and, and that's what I bring right to this mm-hmm. and um, I think one of the key pledges I've made if I was to become the mayor is to you know promote the diversity dividend by that I mean the sense that diversity is a very good thing for a community and for an economy etc and that's something um, you know, my own background would bring that mm-hmm. in terms of being a champion, but that won't be enough on its own. You know, there's other things we have to do. So at the moment, the program I'm running is called the Diversity Equals Innovation Network. It's something we set up, I, well, I set up with leaders from some of our local businesses, from our leisure trust, from the council, from the university. And it really came out of some of the conversations we had after the Windrush scandal, where we felt often diversity is talked about as being a negative thing it's you know we all know the challenges that came out of the Windrush scandal mm-hmm. but you know given the contribution to british society in west yorkshire of so many different communities you know over the years this should be a positive thing and we know from many studies that are done and um, by some of the world's top consultancy firms that innovation comes from diversity and so most businesses are always looking for a pool of people from lots of different backgrounds so we've got that here in west yorkshire right we've got such a great diversity Definitely. and so we need to talk about that promote it because that opens up opportunities for us as an area and so that's why we set up the diversity equals innovation network and we've so far we've been going for about 18 months it's all just volunteer time from me, from other people, you know, senior people in different organisations. We work with the diversity and inclusion leads in each of those organisations. We've run workshops. We've had speakers come from other parts of the country and internationally. Uh, and recently, just before lockdown, we had a workshop between ourselves, facilitated by an external facilitator, where we looked at what's best practice across our organisations. How can we improve all of that? And how can we almost write a code of conduct which is what we've now started to do mm-hmm. for all of our organizations and then any business or charity whatever within Kirklees so that everyone's on a journey you know towards ensuring that their organization promotes diversity mm-hmm. addresses any form of marginalization in the workplace 
you know, removes barriers in terms of recruitment, progression in the workplace, etc., etc. And so, we, yeah, we're, we're on with that. It's very encouraging. We're looking to launch this code of conduct, what we call a kind of charter in 2021. And I guess to, you know, sort of finish off my answer on that, if I was elected as the mayor, then I'd be looking to bring that kind of program right up to the West Yorkshire level. So I've said that I would set up an interfaith and intercultural task force to advise me as mayor. Mm -hmm. And I would take the work that we've done on the charter here in Kirklees up to a West Yorkshire level so that we were looking to include all businesses, all councils, all organisations across West Yorkshire in terms of having that same sort of charter. Interesting. So um, it sounds absolutely superb, the whole um, kind of putting a document together and saying this is what our companies will be following but on the other side, there is still things like the glass ceiling and there is stuff that at the end of the day, people have their opinions. And um, some people, especially in institutions, they don't obviously voice their opinions, but they still put barriers in the way. So how would you, how would you eradicate those nonverbal barriers? No, and that, yeah, absolutely. Though, that's absolutely right. And... Uh, the devil's in the detail, as you're saying. It can't, it, so, to, so to explain, the charter is not a um, sign up and mm-hmm. um, get the badge on your door mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll move on, right? Uh, I'm a big fan of not doing that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And, um, and it's not about awards or anything like that. This is about in order, in order to effectively retain your membership of the charter as our current network members have Mm -hmm. you have to be actively working on all of these things right Mm -hmm. so if i give an example um one of the talks we had was from a lady um who's working in doing some incredible work down in birmingham Mm -hmm. with the health trust there and she in fact advises the chief nurse of england on, um, on on these issues and and what we got from her and what we're, we're trying to look at how we, you know, and we're sharing best practice across all our organisations and now holding to each other to account on it are exactly some of the things you've alluded to. So, um, you know, in the health sector, they know from the data that they collect um, as, as, as part of their, um, their race audits, for example, that a lot of, um, it's quite a diverse mix of people, right, mm-hmm. at a certain level. And then you get to sort of middle ranking and more senior roles, and there's a, there tends to be quite a drop off. And what they've done in Birmingham is they've assessed why, you know, so they've looked at all the data. Why is this happening? Um, what are the barriers? What, what, what is it cultural? Is it, as you said, the people are recruiting, etc., etc., etc. And now they're putting in place things to intervene on all those different levels. Everything from peer review of recruitment boards mm-hmm. um, to champions. For, the, for people going for recruitment, you know, if they feel that something hasn't gone right, and there's somebody there to champion them and question things. So absolutely, that's sort of intervention I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this isn't just a sort of um, nice thing, let's talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, let the mayor get up and stand up and say, this, you know, I'm very proud of having such a lovely set of businesses all signed up to a charter. No, no, it's about, um, you know, business A and business B saying, these are the processes, this is what I'm working on, I know my issues most importantly, right, you know, Mm -hmm. I've got the data, I've got the feedback, I know that these things are happening, these things are not working so well, and this is what I'm doing to address it, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and then they come back the year later and they say, this is what I did to address it, and these are the outcomes, and 
it might be positive. It might be, yeah, look, look at how well we've improved. Or it might be it's still not working. Mm-hmm. Can, can you, you know, your task force, can it help me think through why, mm-hmm. you know? It's why nice. It working? You know, um, well, how can we improve? Yeah. What do we do to make it work? So that's the thing. It's, um, you know, it's, it's it, the, yeah, as you said, the devil's in the detail. But no, I get the point that mm-hmm. this has to be about making change. Definitely. And getting, it's nice that you're thinking really long term with it because it's not just it's not it doesn't sound like it's going to be just a sign up process and and people are like yeah cool we've done it it's done. I know from my personal experience I've worked a lot in the community and a lot when it comes to oh we need ethnic backgrounds we need ethnic minorities coming to see this we need ethnic minorities to be on the boards. And at the same time, you have these exact same companies that are all about being, or are all about supposedly being um, open to ethnic minorities. But push comes to push comes to shove, they're not going into the communities in the first place, and they're questioning why the communities aren't coming to them. Um, yes. And it's like if you're not willing to make that initial relationship, and not even the initial relationship to continue on with the relationship. How do you expect those people to trust you? Exactly. You know, a lot of what we're talking about are systemic and structural issues, mm-hmm. right? And Definitely. they have a long history to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so what we're really talking about is culture change. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about over... And culture change takes, as you're saying, many, many years. It's a long journey and it requires constant work. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I definitely see it as a long-term journey. In you know, in the first mayoral term, which is three years, mm-hmm. we just get some stuff started on this. But getting that start's important. Um, but getting it off in the right way. So yeah, managing expectations that at the end of those three years, we really will just be getting started. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but one thing that as a mayor, I can do um, is to ensure that the mayoral authority. Mm-hmm. walks the walk right I mm-hmm. think that's the main thing because nobody is going to no chief executive of business particularly if they're really committed to this stuff is going to really follow a mayor if they feel that their own office is not in order right so that's the thing is that this charter must be signed by the mayoral office mm-hmm. uh, and um, and the culture must be right there you know there must be no glass ceilings there must be opportunities for people from everywhere to apply get into roles um etc and no marginalization and mm-hmm. uh, the la- narrative and language that come out of that organization must all be right as well so i'm, I'm totally committed to that and the, other, the final thing i say is i'm look, i'm not perfect myself mm-hmm. except in all of this i um you know as part of the network we've all been doing some training and learning and listening on things like unconscious bias and other things mm-hmm. and i accept that there are all sorts of things that i say do that you know i need to improve as well and mm-hmm. so um, I think everyone needs to do that training. That's the first thing I'd say. Yeah. And, and, and keep training and keep reading and keep understanding and keep talking to people because you learn something every day, I think, about the things that go, that we think and perceive, the way we perceive things. Mm-hmm. That perhaps somebody perceives in a very different way. And that might be because of their experience, their background, their history that you just don't know and you haven't seen. And so, you know, the first thing is to actually open your eyes to the fact that that might be happening. That's really cool. Um, so, by the sounds of it, you've already answered my next question, which was, how do you plan on addressing the issue, the, the the whole kind of race issue, and making sure the burden doesn't only fall um, on those people with diverse 
backgrounds, um, which is really cool. So uh, you mentioned a bit about education and educating people on this. Um, so how necessary do you think it is that community, to community development and education come hand in hand? Yes, no, very important, very, very important. And, um, you know, education, certainly primary, secondary level, doesn't come directly within the mayoral authority. Mm -hmm. This is where, you know, you get into that field of the local authorities and government and Department of Education and schools. There'll still be a complex world out there that Mm -hmm. the mayor lands in. You know, you're not landing on the moon, you're landing in West Yorkshire, which is a rich place of lots of different things going on. So first thing to say from my perspective is the mayor has to have the skill to be able to navigate all of that without um, you know really carefully and skillfully mm-hmm. um, and I think my experience of working you know as a volunteer with the youth sector running cricket clubs you know means that I do have an understanding of the education system the youth system and can bring all of that experience when I come to some of these conversations but you're right if in terms of cohesion intercultural engagement schools are, are really really important um and the way that you know even things like i did a visit um one of our network events last year i brought a contact for a big law firm in london who works on, on this and has done a lot of work in east london in particular in terms of that inclusivity um up to talk to us and then we did but before he was really interested because he does a lot of work there with schools um, East London in particular, and so he wanted to meet a school before coming to talk to all of us. And so I took him to North Huddersfield Trust School, and we met with the head teacher and then a class of, of students. And um, that was really interesting, right? In terms mm-hmm. of some of the things he got across to them, and he talked about his own experience and sort of explained that interculturality and the need to look at the world as a complex set of different things and understand different things. Um, and then, you know, talk to questions from them as well. And so I think, you know, to, to sort of, you know, to come back to your question, I think schools, what that trip showed me is that they're absolutely central to this, right? Because young people are growing up, growing up, experiencing things, and then they need to, they need to prepare themselves for the world, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a whole other challenge. And so schools need to be the levers for that intercultural mixing. And so as the mayor committed to that, I'd absolutely be... Um, you know, I'd absolutely be championing that and trying to work in, you know, quite clever ways, I guess, with the councils and others to try and, to try and make sure that that's happening and, and with schools directly. Um, and that would come within, I'd say, the interfaith and intercultural task force work, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, schools would be one of the things that we... Networks schools would be one of, the people, one of the stakeholders we need to work with. Let me just add to that, and it comes back to your last question about... Um, not seeing this as, you know, the role you give to the one black guy in the room type mm-hmm. stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've got personal experience of that myself. You, mm-hmm. know, you know, this is that diversity thing, who can you sort of start type stuff. Um, absolutely not. No, that's not the thing. I mean, as a, as a mayor of, of um, you know, a diverse mixed race background, that's not going to be enough either, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like we can say we solve the problem because we've elected so many And so... You know, there are things, as I've said, the mayoral authority. The other thing, and this is very relevant to youth, is the police and crime commission position, which will be gradually merged under the mayoral office. And, you know, if you think of policing in this country, and particularly in West Yorkshire, it is such an opportunity because it's one of the main 
arms of the state that engages every day with communities everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the way in which that engagement is done is critical to this debate that we're having. You know, we all know about um, traditional ways of policing that are sometimes not policed in a fair way across all communities, and that needs to be addressed. And I do think that the current West Yorkshire Police and Crime Commissioner has been pretty remarkable in terms of some of the improvements he's made on that. Mm-hmm. But more can be done. And, you know, one of the projects I visited over the summer was a project called Catch in Air Hills in Leeds. And there they, it's actually set up 10 years ago and led by a, a police officer um, from West Yorkshire Police. And Ash Razak, who's the gentleman, you know, he has done some really innovative things there. But what he's done most of it is to enable actually the police mm-hmm. to have an interface with local young people. So mm-hmm. that local young people understand policing, policing understand local young people. And the impact he showed me is that five people from, you know, younger people who've come through that youth group Mm -hmm. have now gone on to join the police force. And so they're from the local community, they understand issues going on, and Mm -hmm. they're now in the police force doing fantastic work. So I think that's another thing I could do as mayor, you know, is really drive through the police, that sort of innovation, how you do community policing in a different way, how you engage youth in your local area, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and become drivers of community cohesion and and you know interculturality that's really cool so um okay so let's talk about what may happen if you get elected um so if you do get elected in terms of how you would see west yorkshire um what development would you want to happen in the next let's say three to four years i'm very focused on um three to four years and maybe even more like the first 1900 days yeah. you know in most um in most jobs that i've had and i've had quite a few now in the legal profession and then in sort of the energy and clean energy sector you normally have three months probation don't you mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't if you don't get through your three months probation 90 days then, mm-hmm. um, that's the end of your job so mm-hmm. you know why shouldn't the mayor be the same mm-hmm. um and so yeah absolutely the first 90 days 100 days well you know the first day i'll be pretty nervous it's a big role um I'm not a politician, so it'd be new territory in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I've been new to jobs before. I was I being a 20-year-old and turning up in the City of London at one of the world's biggest law firms, and I was pretty nervous that day, but I managed to make it work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I know I can make things work. Um, and I think that focus on the first 90 days is important because mm-hmm. we'll be coming out of a COVID crisis in May. The economy is, is not in a great way. Although I think the West Yorkshire economy, as I say, can respond quicker than most. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will only respond if we get on with things. So we have an opportunity to pitch for funding, 4.2 billion, I think it is, from government for a mass transit system. So we have to get on with some of the things I've talked about there very quickly. Um, we can bid against, alongside other mayors, for um, housing and brownfield regeneration funds. That's going to be competitive with other areas. So we have to bring those projects forward very quickly. Uh, so that's something we need to do in the first 90 days is get those ready and I think it will help for me that I'm already working with um, organisations particularly here in Huddersfield but across West Yorkshire that can help put together that pipeline of projects and are already doing some work on that and then I, you know there'll be other funds not yet announced but I suspect we'll hear about a lot more after today's announcement by the Chancellor mm-hmm. that will be targeted at economic recovery right and probably things around adult education, skills, young people, um, and then other big strategic projects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just have to get 
they have to have some of the things ready, right, to take to government. Because the way my experience of government is they like to fund projects that look like they're going to be successful mm-hmm. um, and can get going quickly <laughs> and mm-hmm. employ people quickly. And most importantly, have some private sector funding as well. They like to match normally what at least one pound of every every one pound of taxpayers' money with one pound of private sector money, mm-hmm. or probably two or three or even four pounds worth of private sector money. So that's the other bit. Is you know, my first day in office will be bringing people I know, not just the five leaders of the councils. Yes, I'll be meeting them, um, and that's critical and important. But also the you know the people from business. Got some big business around here, and some lots of very good small businesses. Mm-hmm. They need to come in, and you know, within the first 10 15 days, I'd want to be meeting all of them, understanding their opportunities, what they see as opportunities in the sector, um, and where can we put together some joint projects, you know, so that we can get into government quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, talking of newer projects and stuff, um, how would you evaluate personally whether a project would be worth implementing? I'm very data driven in terms of that. So, you know, you're right. Absolutely. Evidence needs to be there that there's going to be an outcome. The impact for me on a project is partly social and partly economic. So, um, you know, jobs created. And by that, you know, I go back to that one pound for every four pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, is one pound of public sector money going to generate four pounds worth of um private sector investment and that doesn't have to come straight away right mm-hmm. but it's, it's, if i if we build a health innovation campus which is something i'm you know i'm sort of supporting the university on at the moment and you might have seen announcements about that in the press recently if 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 the west yorkshire mayoral authority is asked to put some money into that as well um that's fine that'd be great but what's that going to attract is that going to attract four pounds worth of you know startup activity um opportunities for young people mm-hmm. new businesses coming in international businesses investing in it you know that's the question i'd be asking myself all the time right um, and then the second one is you know i think that gets you a lot of the social impact because you're you're uh, you're employing people and giving them good jobs mm-hmm. um but there is always a social environmental one as well for me which is um how's that development going to be done is it going to be zero carbon is that the building's going to be done in a way that's passive mm-hmm. house or you know zero carbon are renewables going to be put on site uh, is there an opportunity to think about the road systems you know we've got this big set of dual carriageways around Huddersfield yeah. which I'm not a big fan of myself um, and um, you know is there a way in which that will be redone so that there's more walking and cycling opportunities as well mm-hmm. you know will more trees be planted around the state all those different questions and then the questions about who's going to be employed there is, is there going to be opportunity for local people from all communities to get jobs in that place so mm-hmm. that, those are the questions for me that's really cool so um, you you kind of hit upon um, one of the questions I had, which was um, about new buildings and whether they're kind of adapted to be beneficial for climate change or not. Um, so in terms of buildings, we have some amazing buildings in and around West Yorkshire. Um, so would you say, would you want to see more newer buildings or would you prefer to see older buildings who are, which are now derelict? Um, be done up in a way and obviously you said you'd want um, kind of better resources to be put into it so they are sustainable 
Um, so which would you prefer, newer buildings or um, derelict buildings that are done up? I don't, not, I'm not sure it's an either or, actually. I think it's a bit like the climate change debate generally <laughs> in that we probably need to throw everything at this problem that's so big if we're going to solve it. So I think sites like the, the health innovation site, you know, it's the old leisure site. So there is nothing there. It's a brownfield site. And I think there you're looking at new builds. And, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. I think if I was the mayor, my commitment would be to try and make sure that every building that's built from May the 8th or whatever I'd be the, the mayor across West Yorkshire is built at a much higher standard than they are at the moment. You know, that's whether it's housing or, you know, commercial properties like this, they have to be built at a higher standard. And, you know, that's a great thing for local, our local economy because we have some of the best, you know, local designers and engineers and architects anywhere in the world here in West Yorkshire. So we should be, you know, helping and supporting them by investing in that kind of building. Mm. But you're right, I mean, even in 40 years' time, more than 75% of buildings are still going to be the ones that we have now, aren't they, and some of the older ones. And so we do have to find ways of retrofitting those sorts of buildings so that they're a higher standard. I'll be honest, I don't have all the answers to that one, Mm -hmm. actually. I think a lot more work and thought needs to go into that Mm -hmm. because if we look at, you know, Kirkley's is a good example. We did have the Warm Zones programme here sort of 10, 15 years ago, which insulated a lot of homes, put in um, PVC windows, so a lot of that work to be done, but a lot of, I mean, I'm sat here in an old sort of Edwardian Victorian home. It's still pretty cold. It's mm-hmm. definitely not passive house. <laughs> it still needs a lot of eating, and even then it's not that warm. So, you know, these these buildings are problemsome, and we either um, tear them down and build new ones that are better, or we're going to have to find newer solutions to make them more efficient and, and better to live in. Um, and I think that's some work, that's some work that still needs to be done. I've not yet met anyone who can tell me exactly how you do that in a cost-effective way that mm-hmm. you know, we can afford. So I think that's a journey, um, but definitely one I'm committed to working with the local authorities on. Uh, and I think it's probably a national conversation. That I think we need all of us mayors, government, departments, the industry really need to work hard on that and think about how we're going to do that in a scalable, affordable way. Right. Um, I am aware that um, we've been on for quite a long time, so I promise you we're in the last few questions. Um, so, uh, okay, so um, let's talk about um, some of the issues we haven't touched upon. So we've we've touched upon law and order, we've touched upon um, healthcare, which you seem to be um, going at it with leaps and bounds. We've talked about environment. Um, the thing is that we haven't talked about is homelessness and unemployment. So how are you planning on tackling those issues? Yeah, no, and, and, and absolutely um, front and centre of mind, actually. Um, homelessness first. It's, you know, it's remarkable, isn't it, what Andy Burnham has done as a mayor in Manchester. I think that's the first thing to say. And um, I think a mayor here must also think about innovative ways to intervene. Um, a couple of, about three years ago, actually, I did a voluntary program um, where I visited homeless shelters um, in all sorts of cities, London, um, Liverpool, Manchester, talked to some, some around here as well. And um, what I learned, actually, from talking to people that were homeless or had been homeless is that it's a very complex set of issues that are going on there, right? Um, some of it's housing related, but quite a lot of it is related to mental health mm-hmm. and issues that happen in people's lives. 
And so I came away from that program realizing that to intervene in a really impactful way, this is a, as much a mental health issue and how we address mental health in this country as anything else. And um, it, this comes back to your, you know, your question about what kind of mayor am I? Am I based on evidence or, or, or feeling? And mm-hmm. I think you know it's got to be based on evidence. And there is more and more evidence about the need for good intervention on mental health issues across a number of different spectrums, right? But including homelessness. And so that's something I'd look I'd look to do. Um, it, within the direct powers, I think a mayor would have. I think there's some stuff we can do around policing, in particular, mm-hmm. making sure that all officers are mental health aware, mental health trained, and where they see opportunities to intervene, they can, and they're equipped to do so. Um, and in fact, some of the people I interviewed when I did this program three years ago had had interventions by police who'd come and found them on the street and then been highly skilled and been able to bring them back into a place and then help them through a journey. So that shows that it can work where that's done well. Mm-hmm. Indirectly, I think it's doing similar stuff to what Andy Burnham's done, which is convening, um, using the voice to talk up the issue, support the fantastic charities that are already doing work. You know, we know the Welcome Centre in Huddersfield, for example, that I, I, I've kind of worked alongside on some things. You know, they do fantastic work in the space. So it's sort of championing, helping, working with those organisations mm-hmm. and looking at some of the areas where they could do with support. Um, you know, Andy Vernon, for example, has raised a lot of money, hasn't he, with footballers and businesses and stuff. So, you know, there's there is an opportunity there as well um i think for, for me as mayor that's homelessness unemployment um unemployment figures here have traditionally not been too bad in terms of west yorkshire and kirklees um one of the issues has been underemployment mm-hmm. or low incomes and so that's you know as i said at the start that's one of my three main challenges is really to drive up incomes by bringing in higher paid jobs mm-hmm. so i won't say too much more about that bit other than specifically probably focus on younger people because mm-hmm. i think the current pandemic is putting a lot of younger people out of work because okay. of the hospitality sector the retail sector you know all of those sectors they employ a lot of young people um and i'm not as confident as the government is that they're all just going to go and start working for supermarkets <laughs> or logistics businesses you know i mean True. I, I've, I've got some of those businesses in my clients and mm-hmm. they, they've taken some people but they can't take everyone so um, for me that's a big focus and um, I am very keen I've talked about setting up a future skills academy and that future skills academy would be about working giving young people opportunities to access mentors access networks mm-hmm. and access you know training opportunities because for me i still remember when i was a young person the thing that i and you know when i've talked to young people here in huddersfield the thing that people young people don't get all the time is that access to a job experience that then means that they're more employable by somebody else if that makes sense because Mm -hmm. most employers are looking for a bit of experience beyond just academic skills or training um or college training or you know and so just giving them that um enables them to access those opportunities Mm -hmm. and it gives employers an opportunity to have a bigger pool of people to employ it's also really important for those young people you know it gives them that confidence once Mm -hmm. they've done a few days a few weeks with um with someone that can train them and gives them some focus and some support and they learn new things and we all know from confidence comes competence and competence that means you can work so it's kind of you know helping people through what i call the valley of death Mm -hmm. you know from where they've got college training or university graduation into work and that's 
something I hear so much from young people and from employers. You know, mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing. Employers more, need to employ people and want more people with skills. Young people want jobs, but you know, how do we just bridge that divide? And that's something why, I've, you know, as I say, this Future Skills Academy is all about working with employers, training institutions, mm-hmm. um, to just set something up that gives young people a real opportunity to do that quicker. You know, because apprenticeships are quite long, aren't they? Yeah. Thing. So it's how do you get two, three-month experiences that Mm-hmm. I think um, so my personal experiences with pr- apprenticeships is that a lot of businesses or because it was all private companies doing in, doing apprenticeships um, what I found was is that a lot of them they were just going for oh yeah this business needs a, needs a free labour or cheap labour um, which and personally I got thrown into at least two to three apprentice- apprentices that were exactly like that where it was just uh, a, a business owner who couldn't, who didn't want to spend the full amount of money, and yeah. kind of it's almost like the apprenticeship company lied to the apprentice about what the, what type of experience they were gonna get. Um, so I think for me personally, that's my main grind with apprenticeships is that they aren't really vetted properly. Yes, yes, I've heard that. I've heard that from other people, mm-hmm. and. Um, and also I've heard that some businesses, particularly smaller businesses, struggle to provide them because the requirements, the things that they don't feel comfortable with. So that's why I'm looking at another, a more agile model, right? Mm-hmm. Something that um, is perhaps shorter, mm-hmm. but is like almost introduction and gets things moving a bit, mm-hmm. is less of a requirement on the employer. But the key requirement on the employer being exactly what you said, that they're totally committed to that young person mm-hmm. and they see it as something that they want to do to enable young people. Definitely. So it might not even be that they're going to employ that person in the end, but they just have a concern about young people. You know, and I mm-hmm. think that's something to tap into at the moment because a lot of the best businesses and business owners are really worried about that. They've seen what's happened. They know they're doing okay. Um, they have a concern for the next generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, in that, I'm in that boat myself. Mm-hmm. I'm a lawyer, very experienced. Um, I know how difficult it was for me to become a lawyer, and that was in the early 2000s when things were a lot better than they are now. Mm-hmm. So I have that concern, and I think, you know, if somebody could give me a program where I could support somebody for a couple of months, and maybe even a few weeks, give them that experience, that confidence, that competence, introduce them to some other people who might be able to take them on, mm-hmm. I'd sign up for that program tomorrow. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's what I want to do, set up that program, <laughs> getting other people like me involved. That's really cool. So, um, all right, so let's talk about the current situation. Let's talk about the coronavirus, which is everywhere and is unavoidable. Um, so is there anything different you would have done? And to hit upon one um, thing that I asked one of the community members, is that especially in Kirklees, what's been happening is the, the, the council, um, they've kind of... They've thrown money at everybody, kind of, and then now it's now they're telling businesses that have been around for twenty plus years within the community they are strong community members, and then they're being told they don't exist. Um, as well as this, I've had a couple of people who are self-employed in the art sector, um, in and around West Yorkshire. They do some amazing work, um, and yet they're yet they weren't helped out as much. So what do you think the kind of practical elements of the virus would you would you have changed in how we dealt with it? 
I mean, yes, this is this is this would uh, I could answer this in uh, in, in a day. I think it's, <laughs> it's such a big. Um, the I think the first thing to say is I guess hindsight's always a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do, you know, have some support and respect for the government um, and and some sympathy with the, you know the unprecedented times. Um, equally, I, the big question for me is certainty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first lockdown that was came very quickly, right? And but that was six, eight months ago now. Mm-hmm. And I think over, by the summer, I was expecting them perhaps to have had a better track and trace system in place. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to a councillor in Calderdale only this week who's telling me about the problems that are still happening with track and trace and the data sharing and not being able to actually, you know, get to households because the, the data's not shared from the, you know, the central system. And, you know, sometimes the craziness of, you know, they if you're in a household and you're isolating, um, as in the same household as somebody else, you'll both still get a phone call from the central system, right? which is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Why would you just do that? Right? I'm just calling one person in the house. Um, and so there are a lot clearly things that still need to be improved. And I think mayors could work with government to improve them. And mm-hmm. we should be working with them next year to look back at what should have been improved, assuming we're out of the situation, because I still think we'll have another pandemic in the Definitely. next few years, given what we know about the science. So, you know, we need to do some lessons learned. We shouldn't just sweep all of this under the carpet. That's the first thing to say. On the economy, I think now, even now, we need to give more certainty, particularly to specific sectors. And so one of the things I have been working on is a task force for the hospitality and retail sector. Uh, and we have our next meeting on Friday. And that's just a few of us from across West Yorkshire who own businesses, run premises and like the peace hall and other places and what we're doing is we're talking to each other about the things the government needs to do now to help this sector because knowing now that pretty much all of that sector is going to be locked down until after christmas means that the two busiest months normally november and december have gone so these are businesses who have really had a difficult year and now have lost you know the two periods, two months where they earn most of their income mm-hmm. and then they're going to go into january february march when we all know people don't generally go out and do all of that sort of stuff they might reopen gradually but they won't have that income that they'd normally have from november december so you know your question is a good one i mean how are we going to help those businesses not go out of business in fact yeah <laughs> so we still have them next year mm-hmm. and so that's what this task force is about and we will be writing a letter next week to the chancellor asking for some dialogue on this asking to be able to meet with him and talk to him about it and share some of our experiences so that he can think about ways in which to support that. So that's something I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, forget being a mayor, I'm getting on and doing it. Um, uh, and that's, you know, always my approach. Is you, don't, you don't need to be elected into positions just to get on and do some stuff if you can see a chance to do it. Um, and I think um, in terms of, you know, once we come out of this and councils and local businesses... Uh, I've heard similar things to what you said. Some of the communities I visited over the summer said similar things. Um, I think the response from the community, particularly during the first lockdown, to help local people, to get meals out to local people, and from businesses, you know, businesses that were running food parcels and stuff, has just been exceptional. Mm -hmm. It's probably the greatest, single greatest thing that's happened in Britain for (laughs) for two decades. You know, Mm -hmm. it's shown how actually... Whatever people think, we're not about just the individual. We are about collective impact as a society. Mm-hmm. And, um, and businesses do care. Local businesses really do care about their community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's good. But we need to build on that, don't we? Mm-hmm. And um, as mayor, I would definitely be having some conversations with all the local authorities about what we can do to support those organisations more. Um, 
uh, and that's a that's a you know I've heard that across West Yorkshire. It's not just Kirklees. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard that from community foundations and different bits. You know, who've been supporting volunteers. I've been out to see volunteers over the summer uh-huh. in Leeds and in other places that are doing fantastic projects. And the consistent thing I've heard, yes, is more dialogue with the local authorities. If the mayor could support that, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, not always more funding, actually, interestingly. A lot of them are saying, you know, it's not just about funds, it's about dialogue, mm-hmm. understanding, Most mutual, mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, then your final question was, of course, about the creative arts sector and freelancers um, I know there's been some support from government mm-hmm. uh, it was it was late wasn't it in the yeah. day <laughs> that right. came through um, and I think that there is a special case which is why I go back to sectors you know if you think of hospitality retail and that sector freelance sector it's so vital to our economy particularly somewhere like West Yorkshire mm-hmm. that is you know has a big creative arts scene sculpture in Wakefield um, you know sort of visual arts around Halifax and stuff, music and stuff around um, Leeds and around Kirklees. Um, lots of freelancers working from here. You know, yeah, we do we do need to think of some special support. And again, I think if it might be too late, that's the only problem by mm-hmm. May for a mayor. Um, that activity needs to happen now to support those businesses. But, you know, as mayor, I could look in the first 100 days to see what we could do to help that sector okay. as well. Okay, so our last two hypothetical questions. Um, so, one, what's your ideal um, political scenario? And two, if you received a one million pound grant to use for West Yorkshire in any way you wanted, what would you do with it and why? So, one million pounds, let me get to that one first. That's, um, a lot of money and not a lot of money, isn't it? Given yeah. the, all the things I might want to do. You know, I think the, the thing to say is that the mayor will have a 38 million pound budget each year, so that's now 39 million, which is useful. <laughs> um, um, I, you know, if it's completely discretionary, the one thing I'd really like to do now, and we've just talked about it, it would be to support community organisations and. Um, if I could get money out to them quickly, so, you know, in the first 90 days, mm-hmm. just to keep that ecosystem alive and thriving and rebuild, you know, in 2021. They, they've done incredible work this year, uh, and I can imagine the fatigue, you know, coming into second lockdown. Mm-hmm. So I think getting it out to community organisations who are volunteer-led but need a bit of money for, you know, overheads, maybe even employ someone to support the volunteers, who are doing incredible work in health, arts, community engagement, youth work, all of that kind of stuff, flooding, alleviation, all that kind of stuff. I think that would be the first thing. I mean, a million pounds wouldn't go very far. And mm-hmm. I, think, I know it can go quite far, so that would be what I'd do with a million pounds. Um, remind me of your, your first bit of the question. What's your ideal political scenario? My ideal political scenario would be that uh, AM selected in the current <laughs> process. <laughs> Obviously, I'd say that. And then uh, we win on May the 7th, I think it is, or May the 8th. 2021 um, but that we win in a way that engages all of our movements mm-hmm. uh, labour and cooperative movements that we build wider coalitions with um, you know third sector community sector business and you know other, other people in the environmental sector who often don't necessarily vote labour but um, are committed and you know I'm I'm a radical environmentalist myself, so, you know, hoping that they come on the journey with us. So that's my ideal political um, 
situations that we win and we have the opportunity to get things done but you know i'm focused on what we do over those three years so mm. the ideal political situation for me is we are now three and a half years from this conversation and you're interviewing me again <laughs> and you say to me what have you done in your first term as you come up for re-election and i say i have delivered you know on the transport pledges i made on the environmental pledges mm-hmm. and if you go walk out in the streets in Huddersfield now people would say yeah, he's changed the culture of the place a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are more talking to each other um, across different communities, and there's a bit more respect for one another. We're all a bit more proud of the area, and you know, people are saying good things about West Yorkshire. That's why that's where I'm really focused on. Because you know, you can start, you can focus a bit on the start of the journey, can't you? Mm-hmm. Rather than on where you're actually trying to get to. And I think most people out there actually more interested in where you're getting to, right? Because they need to see some improvement rather than you've been elected and you've had a nice election day. Of course. Um, so, uh, second to last question. Um, what will you do if you're unsuccessful? If I'm unsuccessful in the current selection, um, I think the first thing I have to do is... Uh, you know, go back to being a very good parent. <laughs> As with any campaigns, you it takes put pressure on your family life. Um, so I think my daughters and my wife are looking forward to seeing a bit more of me over Christmas. Um, either way around, um, I, you know, this is all a journey, and um, I know there's two other fantastic candidates. So I don't take anything for granted. And you know, I've done a lot already, as I've talked about, mm-hmm. without being elected to any position. So I'll keep doing that. Um, I'm still ambitious to get this charter game in, you know, diversity charter game in Code mm-hmm. Lots to do with Huddersfield Unlimited and lots to do with my role in my job. And um, so just still plenty of stuff to do on, on, on this journey if I'm not successful in the selection. If I am selected and not elected in May, well, um, that's, I haven't given much thought to that, <laughs> to be honest. I'm actually determined that we win in May if I'm selected. <laughs> <laughs> one step at a time, eh? One step at a time, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, cool. The final question. Um, considering you you don't have any kind of political background or formal political background, um, how confident are you about winning this election? I think that can play out two ways, and I do get a lot of people who ask me this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, if you look at elections around the world recently, I think a lot of people are looking for new type of leadership. Definitely. So I'm not sure it's necessarily a bad thing to come from outside the political sphere. I think the most important question here is what skills, experience I bring. You know, um, I'm very much rooted in West Yorkshire. I'm just an ordinary guy going about <laughs> his everyday business. Um, and that means I hear a lot of things and I can bring that experience into the role. And I think I'm hoping that the electorate like that. Um, I'm a different kind of leader you're right to a normal political leader i do things in an agile way i don't necessarily need to wait for permission to do mm-hmm. stuff from westminster or anywhere else and i think that's really important for a mayor and so that's the choice labor party members have to make at the moment is do they want someone who can just get on and do stuff and will do in this role mm-hmm. um, or do they want a more traditional political leader mm-hmm. um and i can't you know i can't make that choice for them that's that's a democratic process but Mm -hmm. i'm not worried about the fact that i'm not a politician i think it's probably a good thing it definitely freshened things up a little bit most definitely okay hugh uh thank you so much for coming on and um talking to us about you and what you may potentially bring to west yorkshire
Well, thank you. It's been a really good conversation. Thank you for taking the time and um, look forward to uh, hopefully having this conversation again in, in a couple of months' time. Definitely. Um, so that was Hugh Gobon, who is one of the potential leader... Um, sorry, one of the potential mayors of West Yorkshire from the Labour um, Party. I've been Jenna. Hopefully you enjoyed this. If you have any questions that you would want to put towards Hugh, then by all means do message into Radio Sangam. It's info at radiosangam.co.uk. Um, send in your questions by email. We'll sort it out. Or if you prefer, you can ring our lines. It's 01484 817705. And our mobile mobile WhatsApp number, if you're too shy to talk, is 07444 I've been Janet. Take care and have a wonderful, wonderful day.